Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello again. Welcome to our latest edition of the Tottenham Way, a week into the new season. And I think it would be fair to say that despite the departure of you-know-who, there is an element of hope and excitement as we head towards the home game with Manchester United. I'm Marcus Buckland, Dan Kilpatrick of The Standard, Tom Barkley of The Sun and Tom Allnut of The Times are here. Now, we heard Dan and Tom B's Instant reaction to the draw at Brentford shortly after the game on Sunday evening. In a nutshell, the general consensus, I think, was that Bissouma, Madison and Udiji all shone. But there's concern about the front line and in particular Richarlison's performance and the whole issue of whether he is the right man to fill Harry Kane's boots You both made the excellent point, though, that the strike force has got to be given a little bit of time to adjust from being part of a counter-attacking team to a possession-orientated side. Dan, with the benefit of a few days' reflection, have you got anything else to add to what you said after the opener? Hi, Marcus. No, not really, to be honest. I mean, I think... It's nice to see all the kind of little videos emerging on social media, you know, the the Basuma highlights compilation, some of the clips of some of the attacking moves have been doing the rounds and I've just been enjoying watching them, kind of appreciating it. A few days out, I think some of the play was really, really encouraging. It was obviously great to see attacking football back at Spurs. I think the performance of perhaps Basuma, we may have even understated. It was very, very good watching his individual highlights uh, on Twitter a couple of days ago. But no, I think generally speaking, a platform to build on, really encouraging. Um, and I know we'll get on to Manchester United, but I think that's going to be a really interesting game given how they played at Wolves, uh, which was very, very unconvincing the other night. Yes, but as we all know, unfortunately, Manchester United can be awful one day. They come to play Spurs, they tend to turn it on. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll come to that shortly. Tom B, enough reasons for you to be encouraged. One down, 37 to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I guess most of what I thought was in that podcast. Uh, just one one thought that um, cropped up after that other Monday Night Football and Gary Neville was talking about Spurs and he was saying they needed to buy more defenders and he's worried that Spurs are going to get taken apart as it is um, with this back line. And, you know, it's something that we, we talked about throughout the summer and now into the first game of the season. That high line is just something that's going to worry me. But I do think Adogi performed pretty well on his Premier League debut. He's someone that I really think has has the composure and obviously the physical attributes, you know, particularly his pace, but his ability on the ball already gives me a lot of um hope that that particular position could could, you know, 
could be something that isn't isn't a worry going forward. The right side, I'm not so sure. Um, and and then in the middle of the defence, Van der Ben had a pretty solid start, but Romero is someone that I I'm hoping can can improve this season. I I think he's a he's a good player on his day, a very good player on his day. But with this high line, I, I don't know. I can I can sort of see where where Neville was coming from, um, and it wasn't a surprise that in that game that was where they looked their most vulnerable. Um, where you know when it comes to Man United on uh, on the weekend, you know the worry of someone like Marcus Rashford running at uh, running at um, Emerson Royale if he's the one to play again will be will be a worry. But uh, overall, really exciting to see them play such attacking football and to be so far up the pitch at times uh, from a positive sense rather than that high line from a negative sense. But you know that that was just what the doctor ordered after the last couple of years, I think. Now, before we go any further, we got a little bit of criticism for, well, we get a bit of criticism for, for various things. Not too much. And we love feedback, but name pronunciations. I say Udoji. You just said Udoji, I think. Um, now, yeah, that's you know, David, David Pleat's going to be on to you. If that, which is the right one here? Right. So he told us, literally, uh, out in um, in Perth, we asked him, how do you pronounce your name? And he said, Udogi. <laughs> Was he not taking the, the mickey at that step? Udogi. No. We've got to Udogi. say Udogi. Udogi or Udogi? I, I, I swear you said Udogi. Tom. I did just say Udogi. I was just thinking about it, but Udogi is how you pronounce it. Yeah, so let's stick with that. I know we've got some criticism. I was going to flag it up, but then I've just mispronounced it myself. So Udogi, I'm pretty sure it's Udogi. I can literally go back and listen to the interview if needed. And I could even try and, if I've still got it on my phone, we could even play it on here if you want it's the one that, it's the one that comes least naturally i think you sort of think udogi yeah. or, or maybe udogi but udogi anyway let's let's go with the doggy. i, I, I think that the, is his name that's the one we should go for right? the, yes. the, the bottom line is we've already gone barking mad on this podcast <laughs> now listen tom a you're an expectant father so you do have other things on your mind understandably but do you share the cautious sense of optimism that seems to be prevailing in N17 right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wasn't at the game. I, I watched on telly and I think sometimes, you, you, you know, you get a slightly different perspective when you watch on telly. I mean, I really think that Spurs played really well here. I mean, it's it's a, a very small sample, sample size. One game, obviously, we don't know yet how Brentford go. It does happen sometimes early in the season where you think you've got a good result against a team and they go and get hammered by someone the week after and you suddenly think, okay, that's actually not quite as good as it was. So all the usual asterisks apply. But I think this was a, a really encouraging opening performance from Tottenham. I, I guess there were lots of kind of expected uh, fragilities that we kind of thought, you know, that defensively, of course, they might be a bit open, might be a bit mm, still kind of getting used to each other. But, you know, this was a team who kind of wanted to attack, wanted to score, wanted to enjoy the game for once. You know, I love kind of seeing the players doing that thing that sometimes you see sort of Barcelona doing where they kind of just exchange the ball just for the sake of it in midfield. You know, here you have it, you have it back, you have it, you have it back. Almost like they're kind of in their head imagining the kind of passing statistics after the game, you know, and that that kind of thing comes from a team that are believing and enjoying the kind of style of football that they're playing. Um and I think I thought Madison, I mean, I think everyone said it, but equally, you know, I really think you can't overstate how encouraging that performance was from Madison. You know, he's so so creative, so positive on the ball, playing that ball sort of inside the kind of midfield, you know, breaking the lines into the front three, which we just have seen Spurs be so horizontal at times on the Conte. You know, I thought that was a a brilliant performance from him. Um, I share Dan and Tom's slight concerns about the front three. I thought they looked a little bit wooden 
maybe lacking a bit of chemistry. You know, the one thing about the Spurs side at the moment is we're kind of expecting three players, maybe two and a half, perhaps slightly harsh on Kudasevsky, to deliver form that we haven't essentially seen in, in six months to 12 months. You know, we haven't seen Son play like we think Son can play. We haven't seen Richarlison play like he can play. And to be honest, Kudasevsky had a disappointing second half of last season. So we, Spurs are needing three players to really come alive. Um and I do wonder if in the next couple of weeks, maybe we'll talk about this later in the show, you know, if the next two or three games continue a bit like that, they might suddenly rethink their kind of approach to the transfer market. But but generally, I thought it was a really, really encouraging opening performance. Can I just say, um, I have checked what uh, how you pronounce Destiny's name back from his interview. Uh, it is Udogi. Uh, and I can play it just now. It's uh, Ali Gold speaking to him along myself and a few other journalists out in Australia. Here he is telling you everyone exactly how to pronounce his name. Just first off, so I can get it right. What's <laughs> your surname? Oh, Udogi. Udogi. And while we're on your name, your your um, Nigerian name is. Does it mean good news? Is that is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, good news. I I knew it uh, like five years ago. I asked my mom. She told me it's good news. So it's a good name. And a destiny as well. Is there any particular relevance behind that? No, no, not really. Just they choose his name, destiny. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank goodness for that. I mean, we did not want to go through the season not saying Udogi. I love it. Fantastic. Um, okay, guys, look, the dust has settled a week on and he's gone. He's now learning German. I think fortunately, much as, as much as I love Harry Kane and I want him to be successful, I'm very glad that Bayern Munich didn't win the German Super Cup. Otherwise, we would have had all the memes and everything else that, you know, Harry's won something 24 hours after joining Bayern Munich. Forgetting, of course, that he won the Audi Cup with Spurs and you should never underestimate the Audi Cup. But bottom line, what I want to know from you guys now is did Daniel Levy do the right thing and did he do it at the right time? Dan? Yeah, it's funny, like, Everyone I've spoken to in football about this, including reporters who don't cover Spurs, thinks Levy had no choice but to do what he did and basically played a blinder in the circumstances. You know, got a big fee for Kane, over 100 million, 85 million or something up front, potentially 120 million, and packed him off for the last remaining good years of his career to Germany, where he can't do any damage against Spurs. And yeah, a lot of people, kind of agents, in the game just think he's done a really good thing for for the club given the hand he was dealt um but almost every fan i speak to about this doesn't see it that way at all uh and thinks you know, kane was a one-off he was a unique player he's the kind of player you cling on to by you know your fingertips until all hope of keeping him is gone and, and the normal rules don't apply for him um and i feel like it is a kind of head versus heart debate really in some respects and I think Levy's in a difficult spot because the perception of Levy you know rightly or wrongly and all the criticism toward Levy is that he is just always focused on football uh, sorry always focused on business over football and is much better at the business side of the club over the, the football side of the club and obviously selling Kane is very much a business deal you know it's to get money in the bank um, and avoid losing him for nothing in a year's time um so I think 
I guess one interesting question that I'll sort of put back to you guys is, is should someone in Levy's position kind of ever let emotion come into that kind of decision or do they have to be kind of clear headed and sort of cold hearted and, and do the right thing for the club in a business sense? I mean, I personally think decision makers should occasionally think like fans um, and, you know, let, let emotion come into it. I'm not saying... I would have done anything dramatically differently with Kane, but I think that that is a kind of interesting question in considering this scenario because I imagine that Levy thinks he's played a blinder here, um, and he would you know have good reason to think that. But I think a lot of supporters uh, would have just rather he kept Kane. Well, I'll come back quickly on that and say that it's a really good question you pose and I don't think a decision maker can really let emotion come into it because he's got the interests of the whole club at heart and Harry Kane has obviously intimated to the management at the end of last season that he wants to go. I personally think it's the right thing for Harry Kane in the circumstances. I think it's the right thing for Spurs and and don't misunderstand me, I'm going to go to Tottenham on Saturday with a bit of a heavy heart, knowing that I'm not going to see Harry Kane run out onto the pitch in a Spurs shirt. That is going to hurt. But it was going to happen sooner or later. I keep reminding myself that as brilliant as Harry Kane has been through the years, Spurs have never won anything with him, which is not his fault. But now there's an opportunity for other players to step up to the plate and I think he has struck a fantastic deal in the circumstances. I don't know whether the, the two Toms would agree with that. Tom A? No, I, mean, I, I I don't agree on that at all. I've got to say, I, I think I've always fallen on the the sentimental, emotional side of this debate. Um, I can see why in, in the business side of things, you might think that 100 million is, is a good deal. Equally, I would point out that Moises Caicedo has just gone for 111 million, a defensive midfielder who played one season in the Premier League. He's not going to score you 25 goals every season. He didn't come through your academy. He wasn't born five miles away from the stadium. He's not the guy that all the fans basically wear the shirts of and sing the name on it, sing the name of every week. I mean, the, the current market, 100 million gets you, gets you, gets you a defensive midfielder. You know, I mean, if Spurs want to replace Harry Kane and we know they can't because they can't pay the wages because there isn't a Harry Kane who wants to join Tottenham. Even if they could, they would be paying 150, 200 million for that for that player. And that's even aside from, I think, my main argument on this, which is that just as a point of principle, I almost just think Tottenham Hotspur should never sell Harry Kane willingly. I just don't think they should. I just think that there's more there's more to it than 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 the business side. There is. And I, and, and to, to answer Dan's question, I think a chairman, someone who who uh, has responsibility for football clubs should always think more than about the business side of it. Because ultimately that that's not just a kind of a, a wishy-washy idea that translates to the pitch. You know, it translates to the pitch, what the players feel and what the manager feels and what the fans feel, you know, the atmosphere on at this weekend against Manchester United will be affected because of this deal. So it's not just a business thing. It's, you know, football is a, whether you like it or not, it is an emotional thing. Tom, I'm just going to come back though and point out one other aspect of this. What about what Harry Kane wanted? And does he not deserve, after all the service he has given, to do what he wants to do? And if he made it clear to Daniel Levy and to, to Ange Postacoglu when he first arrived that he really wanted to go, didn't want to have any regrets at the end of his career, wanted to try something different, does Spurs not have a moral obligation to actually say, OK, Harry, thanks for everything. We will let you do what you want to do. 
I mean, I think Kane was, you know, he obviously intimated that if a, if an offer was accepted, he would go. You know, that was that's kind of the the the, the indication that we were given from Postacoglu. It wasn't a matter of saying you must let me go. I've had enough. I can't believe you're not allowing me to go. We had a gen, you know, we had an agreement. It wasn't that kind of the tone of the conversation wasn't that. If if Spurs hadn't accepted Bayern's offer, then I think Harry would have got on with it. He would have played this season. He would have been as good as ever. And okay, you know, we might be facing the situation in 12 months time where he could have left for free and he might have gone to Manchester United or Chelsea or whatever. But equally, you know, Tottenham should have backed themselves to think we got a new manager with Harry Kane and the team. We can finish in the top five of the Premier League and qualify for the Champions League. And we can back ourselves to have the momentum and the positive feeling and the Champions League next summer that Kane will then want to stay and want to sign a new contract. They should have backed themselves to think that, that was going to happen, but they didn't, you know, and ultimately I can see why there are positives. I personally think there are positives, Postacoglu particularly. And of course, you've got 100 million in the bank. You might not have 100 million in the bank next next year, but you can't tell me that Tottenham now are a better team without Harry Kane. You know, their, their ambitions this season, in my opinion, go straight down to being a possible a top six team rather than a top four team. If Postacoglu gets this team in the top four, blimey, I mean, you know, he'll be manager of the year. Yeah, I, I think Tom makes a really compelling argument there. I would just wonder whether the fans that share that point of view, and I have heard a lot of them, would then regret not packing him off to Bayern if he did join United for free next summer. I think that was the calculation. That was the bottom line for Spurs, that it would be intolerable to see him go to a rival. And I think we've we've known all along that Levy has always been so reluctant, you know, from Modric to Bale to Kane to sell to direct rivals in the Premier League. It's just not something he wants to do. Um, And I just wonder whether that was ultimately the crunch point and whether, we'll never know, but whether fans who are or were against selling him might have come round in a year's time when they saw saw him in a United shirt, which I think will be a lot harder to palette and frankly, you know, a lot harder to ignore than Kane in the Bayern shirt. And we'll come on to this, but I think there's an element of out of sight, out of mind about Harry Kane now, which is quite comforting, which would not have been the case if he was playing for United and certainly not the case if he was playing for Chelsea. I definitely agree. It's the most palatable option if he were to sell him. And I, I kind of take issue a bit with Tom's point about the the money. Um in terms of you saying that what does 100 million get you these days? Well, you know that in football, it's all about resale value these days. And it just seems to be defensive midfielders are in vogue at the moment. I think it's more to do with their age. It just happens to be a lot of really exciting young defensive midfielders that are in that age bracket where people, teams are willing to spend that kind of money. But I can't think, is Harry Kane now a record signing for a player age 30? I don't think there's anyone who's cost more than him. Um apart from if anyone from Saudi has has gone recently. So I do think that underlines how much they actually did get for him. Um, And, but it's back to Marcus's original question where they were right to sell him. I mean, I don't think I ever really argued that much, or I guess I'd have to go back through the podcast. I'm sure sure I sound like a hypocrite. There would have been times when I've probably argued that they shouldn't sell him. My argument's more been about him and what he should do rather than what Tottenham should do. And I don't, I still stand by not thinking that, or thinking that hanging around, leaving on a free transfer would have been better for him, albeit not maybe not so much with his legacy. And clearly that means a lot to him. But 
I think, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, all the teams we mentioned before would have been an option. He could have made more money. Not that that's a big driver, but that would have been an added factor. And I still think Bayern Munich are um, a little underwhelming. Having said that, if they win the Champions League, he wins the Ballon d'Or. We'll be, you know, I'll be proven completely wrong and it would have been a great, great move. But um, I still stand by the fact that as much as people can try and talk up the Bundesliga, it just it isn't the same as the Premier League and it isn't the same as... Uh, even La Liga, despite La Liga sort of dropping down a bit of, of late. Um, but regards to Tottenham, um, yeah, it comes back to being the most palatable option if you are going to sell him. And maybe overall it was the right decision, probably. And and, and look, if he had stayed, you know, Andrew would have been dealing with us every week asking about Harry and it would have come round again ahead of January next summer. Um and this gives them this this takes away all expectations on the team now under Ange, if there were any in the first place, because everyone knows it's a transitional season. He can really build what he wants to build now. And and you know, obviously with Harry that would have been even stronger, but now the expectations will have gone completely to the point where yeah, I just think it's a completely clean slate. And that's why i yeah, I find it, as I said, the most palatable option. Well, I think that's a really good point as well. The fact that it does give Ange Postacoglu a, a little more time because it would take an absolute genius, as Tom A suggested, to come in and get this team without Harry Kane into the top four. So that has to be a plus. The other thing I, I'd like to say, though, is I, I don't think we can fully value and analyze the decision until we see how some of that money is spent. And it's a really good point. What can you get for a hundred million pounds, but it is burning a hole in the Tottenham accounts. Now gift Orban is being mentioned a 21 year old Nigerian striker. Who's got a terrific record at club level, albeit not a, a particularly high standard in Europe. I think I'm right. Sendy scored 32 goals in his last 39 games. Personally, I'd love Spurs to go and get Evan Ferguson from Brighton. Young player, Irish, so much potential. I believe that Brighton would just not be interested in selling him. But Dan, is it not fair to say that we can't assess exactly how good a job Daniel Levy has done until we see, A, how he spends some of the money, and B, how does Richarlison in particular step up to the plate now and try and fill the void? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, if the front three really clicks into gear this season and Richarlison exceeds all expectations, then I think obviously we'll be able to view the Kane decision in a different light and probably more sympathetically. Um, I think there was a great line from Postacoglu at his last press conference about replacing Kane. He compared Kane or the reporter asking the question rather compared Kane to a Gucci bag. And Postacoglu said, my wife tells me normally when you try and buy something like that, you end up with a fake replica which I think speaks to the difficulty of going in the market and trying to find a like-for-like player for Kane, that there just isn't one, as Tom said, that Spurs will be able to afford uh, or attract. So it's about building the rest of the squad to cover the goals and creativity and leadership that Spurs are losing without Kane. And it's about, I guess, building for the future as well, which I suppose Valise um, is about... Um, and possibly gift Orban if he was to join um, would be about as well. Um, I think he's considered a kind of very promising player for the future, but a bit raw now. So Spurs did sign him this window. I don't think he'd be a huge fixture in the first team this season, but I think 
Spurs have a 60 million striker already in the squad in Richarlison. He's Brazil's number nine, as everyone knows. So they really need to be thinking beyond the immediate term. I do think it's worth emphasising what Tom touched on a little bit there about how it, it could be a, a really good thing for Postacoglu. You know, I mean, in, in terms of reduced expectations and taking the pressure off the team, you know, I think suddenly Postacoglu has more authority because he is actually the number one kind of man at the club now, which he wasn't two or three weeks ago. Um, the fans will be giving, I think, the team a lot more, not just time, but I, I also think there's a sort of a almost like a sense of sympathy almost for the for the players that are left and, and for Postacoglu particularly. I think that, you know, the fans understand that he's had his best player sort of ripped away from him, you know, two or three days before the start of the season. I think there will be a, a certain kind of sense of love for Postacoglu even more than there was before. Um, and I think obviously, you know, we, you know, we expect certain players to kind of step up into that into that void that, that Kane has left. I do think that longer term for the Postacoglu project, you know, the Kane, the Kane thing could be could be positive for him. But it is difficult for for Spurs. You know, we're talking about how they're going to spend the hundred million. I mean, you, you know, you look at the the players that Spurs have signed. Look at their kind of top ten uh, signings that they've made: Ndombele, Richarlison, Romero, Davinson Sanchez, Pedro Porro, Sissoko, uh, Bergvine, Soldado, and Regulon. You know, that's the, that's the top ten. I mean, tell me how many of those have actually been a kind of outright success? Maybe one or two at maximum. And I think, you know, that's in part, you know, the fault of Tottenham's scouting department, perhaps. But I also think there's a thing here where when a club like Spurs stretches themselves to sign players for 50 million, 60 million plus, they are always taking a risk. That could be ultimately, something like Ndombele is a great example here. You know, Barcelona looked at him, you know, Manchester United looked at him. But they decided that actually, even though he's incredibly talented, there, there, are, there are various asterisks why we don't think he's worth the money. Tottenham have to take that risk. They have to extend themselves beyond where they probably would want to to get these players signed. And ultimately, that, that kind of that kind of level of signing doesn't necessarily suit Spurs. So if they're going to try and spend 60, 70 million on replacements for Kane, it's very difficult for them. Historically, it suggests that it is very difficult. They'll have to spread the money around the team. And then, you know, you're buying a load of players, younger kind of players like Gift Orban, fine. They're not guarantees, are they, at all? So I do think there are positives for Postacoglu, 100%. Um, and maybe, the, the, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see how Spurs spend the money. And, you know, if they finish third and they've signed two or three absolute gems, then it'll look like a much better decision than it does now. Well, just before we look in more detail at whether Richarlison can fill this huge gap, I know there are some mixed opinions about, not, not the transfer of Kane itself, but where he's gone. Some think... And we've heard it here that all oh, Bayern Munich now, or you know, compared to Real Madrid or Barcelona, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's 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 an underwhelming move. I've got to say that I think that's quite disrespectful to one of the biggest teams in Europe, and I think it's maybe a reflection of how we think we're great in the Premier League. And okay, we'll we'll accept that Real Madrid are a big club and Barcelona are a big club, but uh, the Italian sides have gone down the drain and. German football is non-competitive. French football is non-competitive. I think that's hugely disrespectful to Bayern Munich, but I've got a feeling that I might be in a minority here, Mr Kilpatrick. Well, you fired shots at, at Tom B already, who said it was underwhelming, but I've got to say I agree with Tom. I do think it's a bit underwhelming, and I'm quite sure there are lots of Bundesliga watchers and kind of European football experts that would take major issue with that and, and disagree with me and tell me why... Bayern are, are one of the biggest clubs in the world. But I mean, just on a kind of practical level, I don't really know anyone who watched the Bundesliga. You know, I think, as I said before, we are going to be limited 
to mainly seeing Kane kind of eight or nine times a season when Bayern are in the Champions League. I think he will score a lot of goals. I think there will be a lot of games this year where he scores three or four goals. I think that's very possible in that league. You saw what Lewandowski did there a couple of years ago. Um, there's every chance he could do there what he did in the Premier League a couple of years ago. We got Hang on, Dan. I'm going to have to... You've done another David Pleat there. We can't be calling him Lewandowski. It's Lewandowski. I'm just aware of the guy that criticises our, our pronunciation levels. <laughs> that That's that's unacceptable. <laughs> I missed that. Was it Lewandowski? Lewandowski. Lewandowski. You said Lou rather than Lev. Lev. Lou's fine, isn't it? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, I, I think the Champions League is, is really important for Kane in, in judging this move, uh, this move, to be honest. Like, I think if Obviously, if Bayern win the Champions League, it will be amply justified and a great move. And, and as Kane has said this week in an interview with Sky, he would then potentially be in contention for the Ballon d'Or if he scores enough goals and, and Bayern win the European Cup. I think even if they were to you know, get to the final or even get to the semis and do well, then I think people would look at that move in a certain light and think Kane's elevated Bayern and it's really been justified. I think if they were to struggle in that competition but win the Bundesliga and, say, the German Cup, I, I just don't think it it would really move the dial on how we view Kane at all. You know, it, it would feel to me a bit like Pochettino going to Liga and winning a French Cup and winning the league there. I don't think that's really changed many opinions on Pochettino. I don't think he's coming back here now to Chelsea as his big winner. I still think there's a question mark about his lack of trophies in England because people accept that he did it in a kind of one-team league and there's no getting away from the fact that the Bundesliga is a one-team league. You know, Bayern have won it 11 years in a row and last year there was a bit of jeopardy. It was close. It went to the final day. But since then, Bayern have signed the England captain and Dortmund have sold the future England captain probably in, in Bellingham. So there's a bit of a gap appearing there again. It's probably not going to be uh, a particularly competitive season. And so I don't think that really changes perceptions on Kane. Whereas I could see that if he, say, went to United and you know helped them to win the first title in however long and knock City off their perch, that, that would just be an enormous thing that would that would kind of automatically change perceptions about him. Equally, you go to Real and, and it's Real. And, and I think even the Serie A, you know, it's, it's clearly a kind of secondary league compared to the Premier League now, but there's still a kind of historic and nostalgic glamour that I just don't think the Bundesliga has. So I totally get why Kane's gone there. He's going to win some trophies. But for me, it's underwhelming. And I don't think, unless he wins the Champions League or does really well in it, that we're really going to have a particularly different view of Harry Kane in a kind of year's time or two years' time. I understand those points. I guess maybe the thing there is... that. Maybe Kane doesn't care that much about perceptions and and the view of him, you know. I mean, I think often we look through this kind of lens as journalists and fans, and we think that everything kind of comes down to how he is viewed at the end of his career. But actually, there's another side to that, and that is that it's about his experiences as a player, you know. And his experience so far is that he literally has never had that experience of being in a changing room where you're sort of jumping up and down, lifting a trophy, going out for a brilliant night out, being on the top of a of an open top bus, like th- these kind of things. It's not just about the Wikipedia page. Like footballers 
want to be part of these kind of moments that kind of define careers you know when they look back on their careers they remember these things i think maybe more than we give credit for so yes a bundesliga title may not be you know to us that great we will still think of kane probably as the same player but to him he will have these kind of special celebratory memories that otherwise he wouldn't have and i think as well like you have to think that we know we are not saying we know Kane, but we know the way Kane thinks. Like he he won't think of that idea of him winning the Champions League, winning the Euros next year with England and winning the Ballon d'Or as being some kind of you know far-fetched idea. He will think he can do that. Like he will think he can win the Champions League. He will, you know, this was the guy that you know 10 years ago was talking, I want to score as many goals as Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Like his mentality is very much that he thinks he can do these things that we think are probably slightly unachievable. And ultimately, if he gets to the final with you, with Bayern or with England and he wins one of those and he finishes top scorer in one of those tournaments, he will have his name on the Ballon d'Or. And that is an incredible achievement. And he will think that is a, a ceiling that right now he can't reach. So, I mean, I, I take the points about domestic titles and things, but I just think for Kane, if we're thinking about clubs that would be better than Bayern, then maybe we're thinking about, what, three or four, you know, on, on our fingers. And, he, and he's probably thinking, well... The risk is that they're not interested next summer. The risk is Real Madrid sign Mbappe and Manchester United. Hoyland is an absolute, you know, st- superstar and they don't need Kane or whatever. And maybe that, you know, we think that probably one of those would go for Kane. But he has Bayern now as a guarantee. And he has an extra season to win the Champions League. The Champions League finals is at, is at Wembley. Is that right? This season? You know, the extra, extra special thing that doesn't come round again. I mean, I think there is a sense of disbelief in Germany even. You know, I, I was interested on that video of Kane kind of going around and meeting everyone. I don't know if people saw that in the Bayern training ground. And when Tuchel saw him, he literally said, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're here. And I do think there is this sort of sense of, I can't believe we got him. I can't believe Harry Kane is here standing in a Bayern Munich tracksuit. But equally, I can see why Kane, I can see why Kane did it. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him, I think. I do understand the points that, that Dan and Tom B have made, but it's a cultural experience. It's something new. I, I go with Tom A as well. He, he wants to win a few things. I don't think he really cares what we think. The one thing I would love is to get a little camera and a microphone into the room in which he's having German lessons. Now, that, I think, would be pure gold. And I'm looking forward... <laughs> to hearing Harry Kane speak German, perhaps in the same way that um, Steve McLaren spoke Dutch a few years ago. That That's going to be a huge plus from this transfer. More that importantly, footage him, though, that footage of him running over to the referee during the, the Super Cup final and immediately <laughs> wanting to protest the penalty and then just sort of standing there and realising he had to kind of just listen and, and hope for the best was, was can fantastic. I, can, I, can I just say, um, I mean, as I've said throughout, if he does go on to win the Champions League of the Ballon d'Or, obviously it will be justified and will uh, be ECR words. Although it does feel like generally the Bundesliga is where English players go to develop rather than at the peak of their careers. Um, but for an England, just to touch on something slightly different, although Tom briefly mentioned England before, I think it's a good move for England. I mean, obviously the, the Euros are in uh, Germany next summer. Um, the Bundesliga with their winter break, uh, I, I feel like that will be good preparation. I don't think he's going to be completely knackered by the time that those Euros come along. So I imagine Gareth Southgate is pretty happy right now. Yeah. Before we go, we're going to discuss Son. Is he the right man to replace Hugo Lloris as captain? And we're also just going to run through the list of players who weren't in the match day squad for the Brentford game. And of course, Spurs are looking to offload a few before the end of August. But I just want to go back to 
Richarlison, irrespective of whether a gift or ban or somebody else joins the club. Just briefly, the three of you, do you think he can step up to the plate? And we everyone's saying, yes, he's Brazil's number nine, et cetera, et cetera. He costs 60 million pounds. Actually means nothing if for whatever reason he can't fit into the system or he, he becomes the latest striker at Spurs just to, for whatever reason, be unable to find the back of the net on a regular basis. For what it's worth, I kept thinking last season that when he got a chance, when he came off the bench, when he started a few games, he was going to deliver. By the end of the season, although I like him as a player, I have to say I was having my doubts and I really help I improve wrong. But Tom B, first of all, do you think he is going to be able to answer the call? I think he fits the system that Postacoglu has historically played with that kind of striker, arguably more fitting than than Kane um, in terms of Kane like to drop deep, um, create create things. Whereas it seems like Postacoglu has preferred a striker that presses back the centre backs, runs in behind, and that is more Richarlison's game. I I don't think he'll ever be a prolific goal scorer. I just don't think he's got the composure. And he definitely will never be able to get near Harry Kane's numbers. But maybe we just need to reassess our expectations from the whoever is the regular centre forward for Tottenham. I mean, Ange has already spoken about how he wants to create probably more of a uh, a team that scores goals from all over the pitch rather than just a striker, which is the you know, that that's how he, as he put it, replace greatness with greatness. And you you can't go and replace like for like. You have to go and. Uh, think of it a bit more creative way about doing it. And I, I wonder if, and I think I said this the other day in the Brentford um, reaction pub with with Dan, whoever's that striker, it might be more of a player who does a bit more of the donkey work to, to open up the spaces for you, Madisons, whoever else plays number eight behind and the wide players. And they might not score so many goals. They might get quite a few because they will be in the box for those crosses. But um, that might suit Richarlison's game, game more. And so from that point of view, if he can create more chances, whether it be, you know, as a sort of agent of chaos, not the direct assister, but someone who creates space for others, then he could be a success. But if you're going on purely from a numbers point of view and hoping he gets 20 plus Premier League goals, I personally, from watching him over the years, I'm not sure he's got that in him. Yeah, I I totally agree with with all that, really. I think the key thing with Richarlison is just not expecting him to be the Harry Kane replacement and not judging him by Kane standards, really. You know, we're clearly moving away from a Spurs side that are going to be as reliant on individual quality as they were in the last four years and towards a Spurs side that has a clear philosophy, has a template from the manager for the way they want to play. And you kind of hope that players can slot in and out of that system more easily than they have done over the last few seasons. So I think Richarlison is definitely capable of being a really important cog in Postacoglu's system. He seems to kind of have the right attributes, a willingness to sort of work, press high up the pitch, create space for others, link the play, score a few goals, but he's not going to be Harry Kane. You know, he's hopefully going to be a kind of interchangeable part in a sort of well-oiled machine, which obviously Kane uh, wasn't. He was much, much bigger and more important than that. Um, so, yeah, I think Richardson's is capable of doing it, but I'd like to think that Orban or someone else would come in and and kind of provide him a, with a bit of competition. Perhaps Son could play through the middle. Postacoglu said that was a possibility last week. Um, and then it's not just kind of all on him to sort of fill this big void of goals, because I don't think that's ever going to happen and, and was never realistic. 
I do wonder if in two or three weeks' time, if Richardson, let's say he hasn't scored against May United, Bournemouth and Fulham, I think, in the cup before the end of the transfer window, whether suddenly Tottenham might lurch in the last kind of week and think, shit, we need a we need a striker. Richardson's not going to carry this this burden. I, I don't know. It just I, I mean I I think Richardson could probably get the kind of 10, 15 goals, maybe. That's not beyond him. It seems to me quite unusual that you kind of get a player who just goes through a, a fairly long rut after a, a move and then suddenly becomes transformed out of nowhere. Um, but maybe, let's see. I mean, I thought he actually played quite well against Brentford, but I wouldn't rule out a kind of late late transfer deadline day dash for, uh, I don't know, Lukaku, Vlajevic. Oh, please, 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 <laughs> not Lukaku. No, that's unacceptable. <laughs> Nothing personal against him, but oh, no. And. In terms of the transfer window, okay, let's let's look at the players who weren't in the match day squad for the Brentford game. Eric Dyer and all these rumours. Oh, he's turned off his social media. He's not following Spurs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think there's been a, a lot of um, incorrect reporting with regards to that. Spence, uh, Region, Undombele, who apparently has very bad timekeeping. I mean, what's wrong with this man? For God's sake, he really does my head in. You've got talent. You've got ability. You could at least turn up on time. Sorry. I had a dream about him and it's it's gone horribly wrong. Loris, we know he's obviously going just a case of where Tanganga. Now, Harvey White fits into, into that fold as well. And then we've got a couple of injured players in Hill and Cessignon. I'm assuming that if Cessignon was fit, then they'd look to offload him as well. Of those names, guys, are there any that you'd like to keep? Um, I think Dyer could still be useful as a backup centre-back, um, albeit I guess he is better in a back three. It seems like he doesn't really want to leave. He's got a year left on his contract, but the fact that he was left out completely of the Brentford squad would suggest that Tottenham are, are open to selling him and maybe even pushing to try and move him on given that Sanchez was the player who was left on the bench and, and he we know he's someone that they accepted an offer from Spartak Moscow not that long ago, albeit he actually played pretty well when he came on. Um, so, but after that, I, I know a lot of Spurs fans will be really disappointed in how it's gone for Jed Spence and want him to to be given more of a chance, but um, I don't know. I mean, he clearly hasn't done enough to impress both Conte, obviously, although he felt like he was a bit on a hiding to nothing from from day one when he signed, when Conte called him a, a club signing. Um, but Postacoglu hasn't also hasn't sort of gone down his route either. So I think he's he's the other six of those players who were who are who are out of the squad who were fit are all available for transfer. Um, yeah, I, I I don't really see hardly any of those players being Spurs being desperate to keep. Hill's a bit different. He is injured at the moment, obviously, as you said. And, you know, he did he did just win the Europa League. He's shown in few a few moments, that Crystal Palace away game last season, that he is a talented player. Whether he'll ever suit the Premier League, I'm not so sure. Uh, and Sessignon, I mean, I'm sure, Marcus, you're probably the first person who wants him to move on. I know you're not a fan, but Sessignon, when he plays well... Um, I, I do think there's a there is a decent player there and he, it's he hasn't had a chance under Ange yet um that he might actually fit that system so wouldn't completely write him off either but the other guys I think they're probably all if they can if they can get moves will be will be moving out I find Dyer's situation quite interesting because obviously he's made it clear he wants to stay and fight for his place but 
he's actually in the same situation Kane was in terms of his contract. He's got one year left and there's been no real indication that he's on the verge of signing a new deal or has been offered a new deal. So I'm sure the club would quite like to get a fee for him. And from Dyer's point of view, there's a Euros at the end of the summer. He has pretty much always been picked by Southgate when he's playing well. He's very much been on the fringes of the squad, but he normally gets a call up if he's in a bit of form. And then when he's struggling, doesn't, which is kind of amply justified. So I'm surprised that he's not maybe considering a move to try and get some first team football um, and, and get in that Euro squad, because as it stands, he's the fourth choice centre half. You know, he seemingly slipped behind Sanchez, um, which could change, of course, if, if Sanchez goes, but then Spurs maybe not done at centre half and want to buy someone else. So I'm a little bit surprised at Dyer's situation because I'm sure there's kind of, there's there's good cause on, on sort of all sides for, for a move. But as Marcus knows from his spy, he obviously got married recently. Perhaps he has kind of personal reasons for for just wanting to stay at the club for, for at least another year. Do we, um, do we think that Dyer can still play in a back four? It's been a while since he played. My, my view on Dyer has always been that there's, there's kind of no good evidence that he can play in a back four, which I think, is a problem. He's never consistently done it. His best form as a defender has always been in a three, I think. I mean, Mourinho played him in a four and, and he struggled, I thought. So I think that's still a kind of, I'm not saying he can't, but I think that's still a kind of question mark um, over him as a centre-half. Um, of those, I mean, I think they I think they're all can go for the right price. Um, from what I hear, Spence wants to move wants to stay in the Premier League. So perhaps, you know, he might stay and kind of fight for his place if, if no Premier League clubs come in for him. But I think all the others, Spurs, would, would probably quite like to get a fee and they clearly need to massively trim the squad because it's still over 33, 34 players, which is way too many for a season out of Europe. And Tommy, I'd, I'd like to throw in Lo Celso as well, who was on the bench, but he was an unused sub at Brentford. I mean, he's had a pretty good pre-season, but I, I guess he's still available. What's your take? Would you get rid of them all if you could? I mean, I like Lo Celso. I, never, whenever, I think he's the one of that kind of list who actually has shown that he can deliver in the you know, Tottenham team and in the Premier League. You know, we, we remember that period he had under Mourinho where he was really superb. So... I would like to think there's a way back for him. I would imagine that it depends on on the bids that come in. If someone puts up some uh, a decent offer for him, then I, I would I would imagine Spurs will probably let him go. But that's the case with all of these players. You know, it's going to come down to who's interested, and I would imagine there might be quite a few loans. Um, the only thing with Dyer, I, I agree with Dan. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think I just I, I do wonder about the kind of the the. I don't want to sort of sound too kind of, um, you know, cliche here, but the kind of leadership and the personality and the experience in in the team. You know, letting a lot of Big personalities go all at the same time in Larice, Kane, Dyer. Um, I can't think of anyone else. But, you know, these are oh, yeah. Hoiberg, for example, exactly. You know, these these are all big personalities in the dressing room. And maybe I guess you could argue it kind of creates a gap for others to kind of step forward. Um, but I do worry a little bit that this is a team that is very fresh and slightly kind of wet behind the ears at the moment. And I and I and I thought the, the captaincy issue was interesting, you know. I mean that, that Postacoglu clearly didn't go with any of the kind of stalwarts of the Conte, Mourinho, even Pochettino era, apart from, of course, Son, you know, and, and you know, do we think Son is um, the right choice? I, I mean, I, I think 
there is a case to say that he's clearly, you know, extremely popular with the fans, extremely popular in the dressing room. The one problem we have with Son is not playing very well, you know, and it, it could be a case in a in a few weeks that he might not be an automatic starter in this team. Um, and then you look at the vice captains, Madison, who's just arrived, and Romero, who, you know, we all know had a pretty up and down season last season. So there aren't obvious captain materials in there. So I would just wonder if, you know, it might have been worth kind of keeping Dyer for the season and maybe he will stay just to kind of add a little bit of uh, stability in there. But but let's see, Postacoglu clearly wants a clean slate and he clearly wants to kind of put his own his own print on the, on the side. Yeah, and obviously Sonny hasn't been at his best, but I was thinking maybe getting the captaincy, it could work two ways, can't it? I think of cricket in particular, there's always that period of time where you, you'd give a, your best batsman the captaincy as well and either their average would nosedive or they would move on to another level. And I, I wonder whether Ange is thinking, yeah, well, we'll give Son that nod of approval, that extra bit of responsibility. And hopefully, if, if he's recovered from the injury that was clearly more of an issue than we realised at the time, we will see him produce his A-game again, Tom B. Yeah, I hope so. But um, I think, as as Dan pointed out on the, the last pod, I mean, I think he's just going to have to adapt to this new way of playing. It doesn't seem to me that um, playing, having the team pushed right up the pitch where there's not much space to run into and playing um, possession-based football suits his game as much as as the previous managers. So uh, he's a really good player, quality player. So I'm sure he can adapt, but it might take a bit of time on that front. And as we as we mentioned, whether he still, but, but the caveat is, is he still, still the same player as he once was because of that injury last year? I do think sometimes in, in football, um, we overestimate the, the the significance of the captain these days. Um, does it does it matter as much? I mean, you make the cricket analogy. I feel like in cricket, it's absolutely pivotal, isn't it? You make loads and loads of decisions. Football, it feels like it's a bit more of a geeing up kind of uh, role. As we, you know, just think back to when uh, the the Tottenham Amazon documentary came out, and it was basically. Hugo Lloris just shouting at the players just before games, before going out to the game. It doesn't really feel like it was particularly tactical, um, particularly tactical role. And I think it was the same with Kane. I think there was some footage of him doing as captain recently as well. It, it was it was pretty much the same thing. So um, yeah, so I wouldn't I, I wouldn't bother me too much if if Son doesn't recapture his form if he ended up getting dropped just because he's captain. But uh, but yeah, whether he can. Whether he can recapture the magic is, is is going to be key, and I feel like that's something that Ange, if if he doesn't play very well in the next couple of games, it's something that Ange is going to have to be facing questions wise from us um, in the coming weeks. I like Son as a captain because I think he kind of characterizes the the new era we're hopefully heading into. You know, he's he's fun loving, he's a he's attacking, and I think that's what Postecoglou's team is going to be about. You know, playing with a smile on their faces, hopefully. Um, in big contrast to the last four years. And and Son kind of personifies that quite nicely, I think. Um, as Postacogli said when he, he named him as captain, he also transcends groups in the squad. You know, he's known for basically being friends with everyone. You know, there's no cliques with Son. And I think, again, after the last three or four years that have felt really fractured, like there are lots of different factions of Spurs and there's disharmony in the dressing room again he, he feels like a good unifying figure for this new era you know someone just everyone at the club really likes uh yeah but I agree with both Toms you know the, the question is over his form we can't just assume as I said on the last pod that we're getting the son of the season before last 
I think he will improve. Um, and we know he was injured last year, but we can only judge him really on the last year, which has been really, really underwhelming. So there is a question mark over his form. But I would say that I think Postacoglu will have the balls to to drop him. I don't think he's going to be uh, you know, feel conflicted just because he's given us on the armband. And in Romero and Madison, he's chosen two players that are probably going to be the first two names on the team sheet more or less going forward. So it's not as if he's going to have this problem, you know, with his whole new leadership group. The chances are if Son doesn't play, Madison or Romero is going to play. So I don't think Spurs have got too much of an issue there. Um, yeah, just just kind of hope Son gets back to the Son of, of a couple of years ago because that would go a long, long way um, to, to replacing Kane. Yeah, well, I think Tom B's made a good point. The captaincy, it's, of course, it's important, but it's not the be-all and the end-all. And um, as I've got Angie's uh, voice off to a T. I can hear him say, mate, you're not playing well enough. You're on the bench and you come off the bench and score a hat-trick like you did against Leicester last season. All right, mate? <laughs> I won't get carried away with that over the course of the season. Listen, we're going to have to bring things to a close I think it needs a bit of work, I've got to say. Yeah, all right, I think. A little bit. It's a little bit. Of Lou Carpenter from Neighbours. <laughs> Oh dear. I thought I, I somebody said I, I got it nailed on the other day. I think I might have gone backwards a bit. <laughs> Just before we go, um, Manchester United, Saturday evening. We've mentioned already that they were terrible against Wolves, which means almost certainly they'll bring their A game to North London. There could be a little bit of a febrile atmosphere. There are plans for a protest because of the increase in ticket prices, the high line could be exploited, as as Tom mentioned, by Rashford in particular. So what are we expecting from the first home game of the season? Tom A. Um, I mean, I think it'll be interesting in the atmosphere. I suspect it'll be one of those kind of divided things where the fans will seem very, uh, be very clear in their opposition to, to Levy and the board and also very clear in their sort of support for Postacoglu in the team, uh, which is what we saw a lot last season as well. Um, I mean, Manchester United will be, will be a, you know, an interesting opponent. I remember when Spurs played that slightly strange game last season, it was 2-2 and United looked like they were basically in control of the match and they kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half and, and Spurs came back, I think. Um, I would worry about kind of Rashford again, kind of tearing away on the break behind Tottenham's high line. Um, I think it'll be a difficult game. You know, I, I do think, you know, United were slow against Wolves, really poor, very underwhelming going forward. Um, but I would be uh, be wary of taking too much from that. You know, it looked like a kind of a team that was just kind of getting going, really. So this would be a great a great test for Spurs, two teams who obviously would would love to be in the top four at the end of the season. Um, and uh, and yeah, let's see. I mean, I, I think in terms of the atmosphere, I don't know. I mean, I, I suspect there'll be a lot of enthusiasm for the kind of you know the new era. People will be very pleased to see the team with the ball and attacking and creating again, and I'll be. That'll be very refreshing. Uh, whether it translates to a to a victory, let's see. I'm going to go for a sort of a high scoring draw, maybe two two. Yeah, I think there are a lot of games last season at home toward the end where I thought the atmosphere was going to be really sour and pretty unpleasant. But actually, when people get in the stadium, they tend to be excited to watch the team, and I think more than ever that's going to be the case on Saturday. I think there's going to be real excitement at seeing Postacoglu's team. That's not to say I don't think the protest against ticket prices is worthwhile. I think ticket prices are too high. Uh, they shouldn't have been raised this year. So I think it's a worthwhile thing to get down to. And I do wonder whether that will kind of manifest into a different thing for different people. I think there'll be people that, you know, 
for whom ticket prices isn't their primary concern. Maybe they're unhappy with the board or Levy for different reasons, and they'll you know kind of use that as a vehicle to protest. So um, I think it could be um, febrile kind of before the game, but I do think there'll be a lot of kind of excitement to watch Spurs um, get on the front foot again. It's you know it's been a long time. Um, as for the game, yeah, I can see it being fun. I can see it being high scoring. I definitely have concerns about the high line and those diagonal balls. I think particularly um, against Shakhtar and Brentford, we saw the vulnerability of Spurs to just those kind of long balls into the channels behind the fullbacks and United have a player who's amazing at exploiting them in Rashford, which someone has already mentioned. So that would worry me. But equally, I think there was a lot of promise from Spurs going forward and I'd back them to score against this United side, given how much space United left in midfield against Wolves. So, yeah, we'll follow Tom and say high-scoring draw. Tom B, final word. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting, exciting game. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I think because having been at that Brentford game, all right, it was the away supporters, and that's they're often uh, the most diehard fans. But they were singing Ange's name before half time. I think people are falling in love with him already. So. Yes, there might be some uh, Levy chance if it doesn't go well, but I still think overall it's going to be pretty pro, pro Ange. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the midfield trio, particularly of Basuma and Madison, and it'll probably be Skip. How they get up and against um, a, a very good midfield of of Casemiro, Mount, and Fernandez, albeit a, a midfield that's still sort of getting to grips with with Mount joining into that midfield but they played really well last last week it was probably the most or definitely the most encouraging part of that game was was Basuma and Madison in, in particular to see them do it against a midfield of that quality if they can do it there as well um will be really encouraging if it does go well and I, I just think there's so many opportunities as well for lots of the team um to to prove that this season is going to be different not only the players who who struggled last year you know your son your Kulisevskis but also, you know, Vicario, this could be the game where we stop going on about him having doubts over him. If he has a great game, then um, then we, all right, it's, it's very early with him, but we can we can start changing the narrative already. So a lot of opportunities and it, I'm, I'm going to be positive and, and I still think Man United will be, will score goals. So I can't really go from, away from what everyone else is saying, a high scoring draw, but I think there'll be lots to, to be entertained and excited about. All right, so you're all going for a high-scoring draw. I am a prophet of doom, and I was encouraged by what I saw last weekend, but I fear that Spurs will lose this weekend, hopefully at least with their heads held high if that's what happens. But And then I also always comfort myself if we play badly at the start of the season and say, good, well, that's going to put the pressure on the board to spend a bit more money before August comes to a close. But we will reconvene next week. Hopefully there will be a a relatively instant pod reaction to the Manchester United game. And then we'll be back next week to dissect what happened, what's going to happen next, whether anybody's exited, whether anybody is uh, coming through or imminently about to arrive. But thanks to Dan Kilpatrick of the Evening Standard, to Tom Barkley of The Sun and to Tom Allnut of The Times. I'm Marcus Buckland. Come on, you Spurs. Lucky 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.